Today on the Candidly Speaking Podcast, I will be speaking with my longtime friend, Alvin Harmon. Alvin is the pastor of Refreshing Well Discipleship Center in Del Mar, Maryland. We will talk about his ministry and the important work that he does in hospice care at Coastal Hospice. Alvin studied theology at Liberty University, and he also studied clinical pastoral education at College of Pastoral Supervision and Psychotherapy in New York. Alvin has also spent three years in the military serving our country. Alvin, I want to say, first of all, uh, last week I did a, um, I did a, I was doing a service, a, a podcast for My Service Matters, and I was highlighting military veterans, so I want to say uh, thank you for your service to our country. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. No problem. So uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Like I said, we're going to kind of dive into uh, what you do. Um, I'm really excited about having you on because, like I said in the introduction, we've been friends for so long and I'm pretty excited about being able to do something like this. Um, so I guess we'll uh, well, first of all, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm excited, too, man. I'm excited, too. That's good. Family's doing good and everything. Yes. Yes. Everybody's doing well. OK. Um, you know. I saw you staying safe and (laughs) yeah. Grandkids got you up. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, they they have that right though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. That's, that's some good stuff. So, uh, to kind of kick this off, you know, you're the pastor at refreshing well, uh, discipleship center. Uh, can you tell us about your ministry, what type of outreach work you do and just talk a little bit about the church's mission overall? Yeah. So, you know, um, refreshing well, uh, the overall mission, we believe in what we call uh, the total man. So um, our focus is not only on uh, the spirit of a person, but also um, their physical, social, psychological and emotional needs. So uh, what that looks like is um, a good deal of um, the, the ministry, uh, the congregation, uh, is in social work in some field or another. And uh, what we try to do is uh, constantly keep, we, we work in what, and I, I feel like it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful thing. We work in um, what we call uh, a two mile, two, two mile block radius. So we uh, go out two miles away from our, our ministry and uh, we just try to be effective in those particular communities um, instead of us trying to, you know, reach out through various cities and so forth like that. We just use what we have and we concentrate on that small block. Well, when we do that, we can get more done. And then we also uh, develop relationships and uh, the community becomes more familiar with who we are, not just as a ministry, but as individuals. And in those relationships, you begin to build trust. And then when you begin to build trust, um, you have people that are willing to hear more of what you have to say and not only just, you know, be a part of what you do. Hmm. That's really good. So you focus. I, I like the focus because, you know, a lot of times you see a lot of uh, you see a lot of ministries and they're trying to be global like overnight. Um, and I and I really like that that focus for for being a member of a congregation. I would be one to to really appreciate something like that. Um, so we're in this pandemic, and it's kind of tough on everybody. Uh, what are you seeing yeah. at um, Refreshing Well? What are you seeing as one of the most um, pressing needs of 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 many people? What what are, what are, what are some of the pressing needs that that people need during these times? Uh, believe it or not, um, the 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 loss of uh, companionship seems to be the thing that's most expressed um, to all the people that I talk to, not just the ministry, but even the community, because um, they miss. We you know we've had to curtail some of the way that we do uh, some of the outreach. You know where. You know, especially around this time of year, uh, it was just funny because um, my wife and I were looking at uh, a post from uh, five years ago where we had uh, brought over uh, 150 people into the church to mm. feed them just for Thanksgiving. Wow. And, you know, with this year, it's, you know, for some people, even cooking is not an option. Yeah. 
you know, so, you know, we were able to do that in times past. And then this year, you know, that's not something that, you know, we can necessarily do. And it wasn't just the fact that people were eating, but they were getting to spend time with other people, people that, you know, oftentimes were alone during the holidays. Hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's something that we lost. And I think, you know, the, the ability to have uh, human touch and human interaction is is paramount for us as individuals. Wow. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, you know, I did a I did a, a an interview uh, earlier in the week, actually, and we we talked about that. We talked about the the grief process. And I know you're very familiar with that. Um, we talked about the grief process and grief doesn't always mean that you physically lost someone, but you could be grieving a loss of just about anything. And she was very consistent with what you said, that a lot of people are grieving pretty much losing that companionship that they that they once had it's kind of i guess it's kind of one of those things you don't realize how much you miss it until it's gone um absolutely you know so i i think that's uh i think that's 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 very interesting so outside of the congregation itself or just people within that two mile radius there's so many people in the world that's that are seeking answers and I personally believe that our curiosity is is put in us by God. You know, our curiosity to seek God is, is put in us by God. But I think what this pandemic is doing for a lot of people now is causing them to examine themselves internally. And a lot of things are, are becoming um, are, a lot of things are raising questions for them. So while people are seeking answers in this time, how do you how do you direct people to Christ in times like this? Because even in times of death or, or anything like that, you know, the first question people ask is, well, God, if you're God, why are you allowing something like this to take place? So how do you direct people as a pastor or as a ministry to Christ in a times like this when people have so many questions and so many so many things that are that are happening around the world. How do you direct someone to Christ? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I believe in a, in a practical Christianity. I believe in a practical Bible. And I, I really feel like that uh, in, in order to direct people to Christ, you have to show him in the, the common things and the simple things um, that we sometimes take advantage um, on a daily basis. Um, before this pandemic, you know, we took... Um, we took our family for granted in, in some aspects. We took our jobs for granted. We felt like all of these things were always going to be there. They were very commonplace for us. So what happens when those things disappear? You know, um, what happens when I reach out for what has always been there and then it's no longer there? My job is, and I believe as uh, a leader in the Christian community and, and a spiritual leader is to point people to a Christ that says, okay, maybe I can't buy the same food that I used to buy, but maybe I can develop a, 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 a new technique or a way to learn how to, you know, there's a difference between buying a pack of three tomatoes for $3 and buying a pack of 30 cent tomato seed. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, here is the Christ in that. You know, you still have the ability to eat, you know, but maybe you just have to go about it in a different way. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know, when you when you were given that when you were given that, I thought about I, conversations I've had with people and uh, I can't I can't remember what pastor or who I had this conversation with. It might have even been you. But um, the way they described, you know, God is like, you know, the ultimate creative person the ultimate creator and kind of what i thought about when you were saying that i was just talking about you know the creativity and how you uh reach people you just have to you know make a few make some adjustments to how you how you do it before so that's kind of what i heard um in that you just you you don't stop the mission you just kind of would adjust to you know the the hand that you're dealt at this moment right okay i mean absolutely yeah. because you know we we are you know we learn to be where we are because we kept discovering new ways of doing mm. things true you yeah. know we kept uh uh you know and i i am of the belief and you know everyone's not committed to that but i am of the belief that um 
you know, when the Bible says that there is nothing on the earth, you know, mm. nothing was made, nothing, nothing that's here that, you know, basically God did not have his hand in, you mm. know, it, it all came from some sort of of inspiration, you know, everything. So even though you, you see a table, you say, well, God didn't make that. Well, you know, I push back on that a little bit. You know, what was the need for the table in the beginning? You mm. know, and, and where did that seed come from? You know, this this was a good thing. And, um, you know, we can say it came from the mind. It came from our ingenuity. But, you know, I, I believe that he is the creator of that mind. Yeah. You know, he is the creator of those thoughts. And, you know, I feel like that we are blessed because he has given us this miraculous ability, you know, to continue to 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 um to have ingenuity, you mm. know, to continue to create, to continue to uh, discover you know, so that, you know, when the when the need comes up, you know, we have a we have an answer. We have a response. Yeah. And and I and I agree with that 100 um, percent. So and I think it's a good segue, too, because um, you are the author of the book, The Crockpot Christian, a simple slow cooking guide to Christian disciple uh, discipleship currently available on Amazon. Uh, can you tell us about this, about this, this book and tell us, cause I think it's a really cool creative name. Um, tell, tell the people how you came up with that name and what you hope to accomplish with this book. Yeah, sure. So, um, the, the book actually came out of an experience that I had, uh, coming up as a Christian. And, uh, as I, um, begin to kind of talk to people about it and, and, and discuss what my thoughts were about it, I realized that some people had uh, the same experience. You know, they had the same, they were dealing with the same thing uh, that I was dealing with, having the same questions that I had. And that was uh, this idea or this concept that once I decided that I wanted to be a disciple of Christ, that it meant that my life instantaneously uh, changed. Not saying that there was no no inward spark, but that the the outward uh, progression uh, was supposed to just you know in an instant. Mm. And I, I felt like um, people were showing me uh, this form of Christianity that they themselves could not even define. Mm. And, you know, I would ask, I would say, you know, well, because I knew my struggle, I was like, man, I really do want to stop this. But, you know, it's it's not as easy. As it seemed like you're making it, you <laughs> yeah. know, so they can't live know, up to I, it either. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what did you do? And I'm trying to get the you know, I'm trying to get the um the ingredients. I'm trying to get the formula, you know, give me the recipe right. so I can get to where you are. Well, it wasn't until later that I realized they didn't have it either mm. and they weren't where I thought they were. So I begin to study in the scripture and I, 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 I begin to dissect the word discipleship. And I thought about that in, in the, the root of that word discipline. Mm. And, you know, when when I the way I look at the Bible and my relationship with God, I often relate it to my relationship with my own children. And um I say to myself, I say, okay, I have five, I have five kids. Not one of them has ever done something that I didn't like. And I went to go discipline and then they never did it again. Mm. Didn't happen. You know, there were times when I would say, Hey, don't do that. And they'll stop doing it for the moment. But then, you know, a couple of days later, they're doing it again. So it wasn't because there was no discipline. It was because the process of discipline had not been completed. Mm. And there are often times that, you know, I would have to leave them there and say at some point, you know, they're going to figure it out. So when I wrote the book, I realized that in order to become a true Christian, that, that he said we, they were called disciples. That's what he called them. They were called disciples. Mm. They had to learn of him, learn of his ways, learn what he wanted them to do. And that had to come to a process. Now, what I wanted to do when I wrote the book, uh, I wanted to accomplish uh, 
a sense of ease of the frustration associated with discipleship. So if I can communicate to you that there is a process to this, there's actually something that you can do that is not far-fetched. It's been done for years that um, has nothing really to do with um, how much, you know, you're not praying enough or you're not fasting enough, but it has to do with genuine discipline. Mm. And all this book is basically saying is take one bad habit that you don't like and take that one habit and do just, you know, if, if it's something you need to refrain from, then you take that one issue and you begin to refrain. Give yourself a calendar, you know, and then if you, you know, you go out and today, you know, like for some people it was um, like an addiction. Let's let's we'll say pornography. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So like an addiction to pornography. Well, today, don't pick the magazine up today. Don't open the website, you know, and though you may have an urge, you know, today, don't do it. It, it is so easily related to the same thing that we do when we're talking about like dieting or exercising, you know, I, maybe I don't want to get on, on, on the treadmill today, mm. but I'm going to do it, you know? Right. And even if I don't do it for an hour, even if I don't do it for 30 minutes, if I can get on there for 15 minutes today and 15 minutes tomorrow, and I continue to develop a new habit, I'm actually enacting discipline in my life. I'm learning to discipline myself Mm -hmm. to become what I want to become. That is, that is true. That is true. And I think, I think another thing that, um, you know, that people deal with in this, um, in this, in this life, I think, when you're when when people hear, hey, I'm going to I want to be a Christian and they hear that, hey, I want to go and live this life. Um, you know, when they when they hear that, uh, sometimes they think, like you said, it's it's an instantaneous thing and it's supposed to happen right overnight. And I personally believe that that's what a lot of times turn people away from christianity because they feel like i just you know they have this high standard that they've been told all their lives they have to live up to if you want to be a christian and then at some point they're like i can't live up to that and then they kind of walk away and yeah also in this in the same i think you know you know as a christian uh you know we beat ourselves up and you know we talk down to ourselves because we're like you know why can't i do this you know why why am i not doing this why am i not getting this right and it just and it just creates this environment of um, of what you said, this this impossible environment of, you know, I can't you know, of I can't do this anymore. And I think it, it just turns people away, unfortunately. And I also think that people also see Christians and they say, well, you know, they say, uh, well, you do this. Aren't you supposed to be a Christian? It's like, listen, man, I'm we're not perfect. You know, we are not perfect. And unfortunately, the world has has pointed the finger at us and said, hey, look at these people who are over here pretending to be perfect. And it's like if you talk to a Christian and they say they're perfect, then, man, something else is going on because nobody is perfect. So I really like that. But I wanted to read the excerpt from your um, from the book uh, for exactly what you're talking about. It says I came from a doctrine that taught the instantaneous Christian. It enforced the fact that once you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you must immediately stop all sin. However, it did not continue to explain how or the possible amount of difficulty that it may prove to present. In my humble opinion, it may have led me and many like alike to perceive a Christian walk with a false sense of reality. Um, so to elaborate on that, um, can you can you elaborate a little bit more on that false sense of of reality that you're talking about there yeah absolutely so you know that i think that was the uh the aha moment for me you know that that false sense of reality and what what i mean when i said that was it almost leads you to believe that you can be uh, a certain type of person um in a moment that you're that you know is just not possible to be so i can tell you exactly what happened to me 
um, I wanted to be a good Christian. Like I, I, I believed what I heard about the Bible. I believed that I wanted a turnaround for my life. But then when I started to walk according to what was being explained to me, I kept realizing that mm, this is hard. Mm. I can't do this. And I would go back to what I had left because I was like, there's no way that that's possible. But then when I go back to what I was left, the, the pain that I and the suffering that I had in that lifestyle, I had to, I was like, no, that's not what I want. There's something I missed. So I would go back again and try to figure this out. Um, but ultimately, um, it leads you to this sense that, you know, and I feel like it, it, it messes with a lot of people that you're living an actual Christian life when you're actually causing yourself a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because what they what is constantly presented to you is what not to do. Right. What's constantly presented to you is, you know, or what what is wrong with you or, you know, what isn't good about you. And I've learned to understand the Bible and the scripture as a genuine love story. So when I told you, I, you know, I, I, I use my own my own children and my relationship with them in relationship to my father. I don't want my children to um, to follow my, the instruction I give them because they fear that I'm going to, you know, hurt them or cause them pain. I want them to do it because they, they love their father so much that, you know, when he opens his mouth, you know, they, they're, they're willing to put everything else aside to make sure that, you know, what he says or what he's asking is, is being done by them. That's the story that, you know, I want to communicate. And I believe that's the same story that uh, God wants to communicate to us. Mm. Mm. That's pretty good. So similar to um, the analogy used uh, for crockpot Christians versus slow cooking um, Christians, I think, uh, there's a correlation for all people in life, period, uh, Christian or not. And I think a great example is this pandemic. Uh, do you believe people um, have been forced kind of into slow cooking? And in this example, slow cooking, I mean, not doing a lot of stuff like running around, ripping and running and actually sitting home, spending time with their family. So do you believe that they're forced into it? And do you believe when things are able to go back to normal that some of these people will have learned that that slow cooking in this instance and that slow cooking and being around family and being at home, um, not ripping a run is OK. Or uh, will we explode back into the crockpot lifestyle where we're ripping and running and or not crockpot lifestyle, but more of a, a faster lifestyle uh, where we're ripping and running and uh, people filling up their schedule. So I guess if I had to shorten this up, um, do you think that people will eventually appreciate as, as things go back to normal? Do you think people will find a way to appreciate that more slower lifestyle rather than going back into that fast pace? You know, we have to be here. We have to be there all the time. Do you, do you think people right. will be able to will be able to uh, revert to keep that slow pace mentality? Or do you think we'll just kind of go right back to that fast paced lifestyle? I, honestly, I, I think, I think it's going to be, you know, some of both because mm. um, for, you know, for some groups, uh, you, you have some groups that were not phased as much as, you know, other groups were by, by the pandemic. So you have some people that um, were still able to, you know, uh, buy steaks and eat out and, you know, and, and things like that. And yeah. a lot of people had to go to food lines, yeah. you know, on a weekly basis. So, you know, I, I, I feel like that uh, um, for those who the value of the crock pot mentality has become more apparent, I think that, you know, it, it, it was almost traumatic. And a lot of times when you suffer trauma, um, you try to, uh, develop a new sense of living that will prevent that trauma from uh, happening to you again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if if my refrigerator ended up empty and I ended up, you know, having to get, you know, boxes from uh, a food pantry or, uh, uh, you know, a church or some other source, you know, 
then, you know, there is an argument that, you know, after this is all over, I might prepare a little better because I don't know when the next one is going to happen. Right. But, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, for someone who, you know, who didn't miss a beat, you know, they might actually try to, you know, maintain that same, you know, that same uh, level of of running and ripping and, you know, nothing changed for them. You know, one thing um, you can look at that figuratively, like I did in my book, but you could also look at it, um, uh, you know, literally, because, you know, for a lot of people, including my household, you know, we stopped and, and we started cooking, you know, and, and at home, it's just my wife and I, for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, for you know, we, we, you know, we had the ability to go out and eat and, and everything, but, you know, when, when the grocery stores were closing that, you know, early hours mm-hmm. and, you know, there was no, you know, late night run to the restaurant or, you know, some of the restaurants weren't even open, you know, and, and we went back and <laughs> we learned that we really enjoyed it. We, yeah. we learned that, you know, we, we like, you know, sitting on the couch and, you know, sharing a meal and, you know, just t- none of no new shows were on, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, because they couldn't get together to do the new shows. So, you know, we watched old shows or, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about old times or, you know, things like that. And it was really fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's a great thing. Um, and I and I hope more people um, will be able to do that. But there's nothing wrong with the person that wants to live the fast lifestyle because I like a good steak from, from Outback or wherever, yeah. <laughs> uh, like anybody else, you know, so it's not, you know, so it's nothing wrong with that, you know, so I don't want to make people think that I'm saying there's something wrong with that. But right. I do think, uh, I was listening to, a, uh, I listened to a bunch of other stuff, um, like, uh, these, uh, podcasts that I listened to and I, I heard a guy, uh, make a comment and I've been hearing a lot about technology, how they say technology has advanced, you know, five years. Like, you know, a lot of people are using zoom. Um, zoom is not really a new technology, but you know, it's, 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 it's pushed forward, um, because of, because of the pandemic. And, uh, one of the things I heard a guy say, and I thought it was so key, he said, but even though technology is being pushed forward, there are some things that have, have been reset. And what he was talking about was the fact that, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe, maybe even some of the 80s, it was commonplace for families to sit together, you know, every night and be together, except the difference was they weren't forced. Um, They just kind of did it. So now we're in a stage where we're kind of, even though technology is advancing, this pandemic has actually rewinded us back some years to where we have to sit down and kind of face the people that we live with and actually appreciate them again. And, and I've, I said this before, it's, it's great for some people because doing all the ripping and running, sometimes you lose out and forget on the things that you have appreciated. And I could tell you this uh, straight up. I've talked to you about it a little bit before. I can't, even though I know in my mind, eventually, you know, um, you know, will things will be different. But I enjoy being able to um, see our daughter, you know, at home more, you know, during this time. Uh, so that's something that I that I really appreciate. Um, so with that with that being said, um, how would you how would you um, how if someone desired to slow down a little bit, how would you advise them to take this opportunity in this pandemic to maybe you know, do something new in the house. How, how would you advise them to do something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's actually, it's wonderful. I, I think that's an excellent question because that is actually one of the biggest things that, uh, is, I mean, that's one of the things that are close to my heart, um, mm. because, uh, I am, I'm big on family and you know, you, you know, my children, but yeah. now my children have children. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I regret as a parent, and this is an honest regret, is that I spent so much time with work and ministry mm. and other things, you know, other people trying to see into the needs of other people that I, ne- you know, I, I honestly neglected genuine, authentic quality time with my own children. Mm. And it is the one thing that I look at them 
And I say when they're when they're with their children and I say, hey, you know, sit down with her on the floor, you know, talk to your son, you know, spend time with me. Like you want to go play ball. You want to go do that. This, you know, you have a family now and your responsibility has to change. And, you know, it's it's one of the things when I look back, I'll never forget. Um. I was off doing something. I don't know what it was. Some uh, was something with a book or an interview or something. Hmm. And um, my uh, youngest son, Daniel, had a football game. And I had been to, you know, you know, quite a few of his games. And he always looks for me on the sideline. You hmm. know, his mother and I, we would, you know, put his jersey, you know, we would paint shirts with his jersey number, his name on it, you know, have, you know, we made a big deal out of, you know, his time on, on the football field as, mm. as a, as a, as a young man. And, uh, I remember, uh, that I, I chose to put something before that commitment that I, that I had for him and gave to him. And I can't, um, and I said to, um, his, uh, his coach one day, you know, Hey, I'm sorry, I missed the game. And, you know, and this coach looked at me and said, you know, Hey, you know what? Uh, Daniel caught the winning touchdown, you mm. know, and, you know, and he didn't say that. It, I mean, it, it, it didn't seem like he said it in like a really smart, smirky move, but it was just kind of like you should have been here to see it. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it gave me some it gave me some genuine pain. And um, I, I realized I, I feel uh, very late, too late that. You know, there were some things that I could have just, you know, I, I didn't have to place in front of the time with my family. And it wasn't long after that, that, you know, I adopted this phrase and I say it, you know, almost everywhere I go is that, you know, when people are willing to give you their time, you ought to say thank you. It is our most valuable commodity. You and I mm-hmm. talked about that. Yeah. You know, is that, you know, you can make more things, you can make more money. But you can't make more time, yep. you know, and once it's gone, it's gone. The the minutes that we've shared, you know, during this show, we'll never get back again. Yeah. You know, so that was, you know, it's time away from your daughter. It's time away from my family. You know, so you have to weigh those things out and see what's more valuable when you elect to share your time with anyone or anything. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember I remember that conversation um, and. <laughs> I remember one of the things that I immediately thought about uh, was was this movie. I can't remember the name of the movie. I think it was like Spy Kids or something. My son used to watch when he was younger and they had this character. I think it was Spy Kids. I'm sure somebody will correct me, but I think it was Spy Kids. They had this character and the guy, his his whole job, he was a timekeeper. He kept time. And even him, you know, I know this is just a movie, but even with him, just, you know, looking at the, 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 the concept of it. Even this guy said, I'm the timekeeper and I want more time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's like, I want more time, you know. And, um, you know, I, j- I just I think that's I think you're right. And I'm glad you brought up that point, because I think that if nothing else, if nothing else, if people can pick up the fact that, hey, one day things are going to go back to normal. And then one day you're going to wish at that time, Dag, you know what? I should have spent more time. I should have I should have right. sat down and and played that board game or watched that TV. Like right now, my son he keeps asking me to watch uh, Dragon Ball Z, and I'm like, yeah, we can, you know we can watch it, and I'm and I'm and I'm for real. I watch it with him. Um, you know, we just hadn't done it yet, and in my mind, all I can think about is okay, we need to we need to make sure we do this because at some point they're gonna go back to school and we're not gonna be able to do it. So I'm really glad you um, you highlighted that point. Yeah. And, and let me add this, because, you know, in my hospice work, um, I, I, I have a lot of conversations with people during the end of their life. Mm. Um, and the, the singular most comment that they all make is that they wish they had spent more time with family members. Mm. Mm. And I'm and I'm glad because actually my next question is going into that as we transition into from the pastoral work that you do to the work that you do at uh, Coastal Hospice. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and um, 
how you started doing it and kind of how long, how long have you uh, been doing this work at the uh, hospice care? Right. So I, I really didn't have uh, a good understanding of what hospice and hospice care, palliative care was. Mm. Um, I, I was, because of my pastoral background, um, I started uh, uh, taking, uh, 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 well, getting a clinical pastoral education um, through the, um, what we called it the CSPCS, but it's the, the College of Pastoral Supervision and Psychotherapy. And uh, I was taking, uh, taking those courses uh, so that I could become uh, a chaplain. I wanted to kind of do what I did uh, in the community mm. in the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're in the clinical setting, wherever that might be. Well, I actually ended up uh, training and uh, doing a, um, I can't think of the word, whatever it is, um, internship okay. at um at the University of Maryland Medical Center and uh, Anne Arundel Medical Center, both here in Maryland. Okay. And um, so doing that internship, uh, I began to meet a lot of people who um, were dying. Mm. And, you know, in those conversations, I saw such a... a a vast array of emotions and feelings between, you know, some people were, you know, scared and, you know, terrified. And some people were, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm finally going to meet God. And, you know, and, and you know, it's just and, 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 and anywhere in between. Hmm. So um, during those times, I really found that, you know, this is one of the most spiritual points in someone's life. Hmm. Uh, when they're losing it and for someone to give me uh, space and time and, you know, they tell you uh, some of the most honest and pure things uh, when they know death is impending. And I don't mean that to, for them to kind of, you know, get all of their sins off of them. Yeah. There's honest things that, you know, they, they want to communicate that they never felt like they could communicate before. Uh, about feelings they had, regrets that they have, um, you know, people that, you know, maybe they didn't treat so well during, you know, uh, another part of their, their life, a lifetime. And uh, when an opportunity came for me uh, to go to hospice care, the department that they had me, uh, were considering me for was actually um, what they call pre-hospice, so um, or like a pre-hospice, but what this is is uh, it is the time that people have understood or they've been told that they were terminal, and but they're not yet ready to go on to full hospice care, hmm. and. Uh, this is the point. It's almost like the moment that, you know, I found out something the doctor just told me that I'm terminal. How do you process that? What mm. what time frame do you need to process that before you are willing to say, OK, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to die now. And, and, and it's that literal. It's that literal. Um, so so my role is to have these conversations and allow people to kind of go through that process to begin to realize and, you know, as they begin to hear more from the physicians, as they, you know, go through their treatments. And it becomes a little more intense when you begin to take treatments like for, you know, people who are seeing oncologists or they're getting some type of cancer treatment or chemotherapy. And these treatments, you know, begin to fail, you know what I mean? And they notice that, you know, maybe it's still not working. And, you know, and, you know, there's just so much going on in a person's mind when they realize that everything that they know is about to end. Hmm. Wow. So you're talking so you're kind of talking to these people as they find out that, hey, you know, this is this is a reality for me. And when you say they're not yet ready, meaning they're not at a point to where they they go into 
hospice, meaning physically, um, not you're not talking mentally. They're not ready. You're talking physically. They're not at the point where they need to go to full yeah, well, hospice, actually, right? Yeah, or is actually, it both? I'm talking both. Yeah, okay. Actually, I'm okay. talking both. Wow. So some people they're, they're physically ready, but they're not mentally ready. Mm. So if you know, and I don't go in and I don't push people and say, you know, this. I actually allow them time to process their own situation. And it doesn't always end up in them going into hospice care because sometimes, but you know, my job and I, I, I really appreciate when people lend that to me, it's to kind of hold their hand, you know, and, and, and in doing that, you know, I, I, I connect them to different resources in the community, you know, try to, you know, help support them the best way possible um, while they're trying to, you know, figure this thing out for themselves. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's um, pretty tough. And I know uh, people listening to this, uh, they're probably probably thinking, um, you know, you're seeing a lot on a regular basis when you when you're seeing people um, in this way. How do you yourself maintain a certain level of. um, Well, first of all, before I even ask that question, how do you continuously be compassionate towards people. And and this is why I asked that question. Because as humans, sometimes, you know how we see a lot of violence on TV and we, you know, we'll watch it like on TV shows and then it happens in real life and it's kind of like, okay, well, that just happened. Now, you know, you're not, you know, you're dealing with people in hospice care directly. And at some point, like, I guess, uh, not to compare, but I guess kind of like a, uh, funeral director you know he's so used to seeing yeah. people's bodies it's like okay you know what it happens it's a part of life it, by the fact of him going to mortuary school he's already been able to accept that at a, or he or she has already accepted that very early on um so the first question i'll ask you though is how how do you continue to be compassionate towards person after person after person without at some point forming a callus. Um, I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell a real quick story. My dad told me on his interview, one of the things I thought was so interesting. Uh, he said when he was in the Vietnam war, if they saw people getting too close, they will separate them because mm-hmm. of the fact that you, it was very possible that you would lose that person. Uh, wow. That you could yeah. lose that person. So they didn't want anybody having that psychological effect while they were in war where they lost somebody so close to them that it, it drove them crazy. And that may not have been out throughout the entire Vietnam War, but he said that's how they handled it in his unit. Um, so I get I don't know. I know I'm kind of long winded on this, but it's such a deep topic. Like, how do you not at some point be like, you know what? I did my job that, you know, this is a natural part of life. And, you know, I guess, how do you see that person? How do you see each individual person as an individual rather than, hey, these people, you know, they're here because something is about to go down and there's nothing I can do to stop it. So how do you keep your heart from being calloused? I guess I guess that's the shortest way I can ask that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, actually, it's it's an excellent question because, um, you know, I had to learn to become deliberate about that. Mm. And um, there were times that uh, I caught myself and there were times that actually my, my wife caught me, um, not not for work, but the the callousness that I I that I grew from work uh, a couple of times, you know, leaked out into the community mm. where people who I know. Uh, had family members that passed away, you know, and it wasn't to them, but just in my conversation with my wife to them, you yeah. know, about the situation, you know, that, that, you know, those scales were, were very vivid mm. and, you know, a, a light went off, uh, in my mind. And, and, you know, I, I tried very hard, uh, not to, you know, and, and it's, it's not, it's not difficult because everyone's situation is so different. Yeah. 
you know, uh, and and somebody can have the same disease, have it for the same amount of time, but the dynamics of their household are so different. Um, you know, the 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 family members. You can have someone who, uh, you know, I, I've had people that's that's had young children, uh, people that. Uh, had to take care of other family members because those family members had disabilities or illnesses and they, you know, this person was ill themselves, you know, it's just, and, you know, once you begin to hear those stories and, and I think, you know, that's, what's beautiful about, uh, you know, my particular program is that you actually get time to, to hear these stories. And, Mm. and for a lot of people, just the ability to tell those stories is, is freeing. You know, to to let somebody know, you know, I'm I'm in pain, um, and this is why. You know, I think the the hardest part um, that I get to, you know, that I that I see, and not pe- many people get to hear this, is that it, a lot of the times the family members struggle more than the actual patient does, mm. and uh, a patient, all many patients feel the need uh, to continue uh, to live because of a family member, wow. but in actuality, they really want to go ahead and die. Wow. And it's not, and it's, you know, it's because of physical pain, it's because of mental anger, and, and they, they get, they grow tired. You get tired of, of breathing, you know, breathing becomes painful. Mm. Uh, you get tired of moving when you have uh, a cancer that's, you know, moved to the bone, you get tired because your bones hurt, there's pain, you know, it's, and, 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 you know, you have children and grandchildren saying, you know, fight mom or fight dad. And, mm. you know, dad and mom are saying, I, I really don't want to. But they won't tell that to the They tell that to me. They won't tell the children, but they'll tell it to me, you know. And that's it's just a hard conversation to have. Of course it is, you know. And, and I would never um, try to force someone to do that. You know, everyone kind of takes their own path. But. I do allow them time to bounce those 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 thoughts and things off of me, mm. and you know, and sometimes I, I do help them su- help support them in conversations with their families. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's interesting too because I was I was gonna kind of get around to that too. How much, uh, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, like how much consulting um, you do with the families to help them realize, hey, listen, you know. And I and just you saying that's like, listen, just because they want to go don't mean they don't love you. You right. know, don't mean that they don't want to be here with you. Don't mean that they wouldn't love to spend this next holiday with you. Um, but, you know, they're 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 kind of ready. So I got to imagine uh, that happens. And you already alluded to what I was going to um, ask in the next question, which I thought was great that, you know, people. um People in this condition have a lot of stuff on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's one particular case that I'm that I'm thinking about. And um, but I imagine that a lot of them, like you said, are regretting some things, uh, maybe wish they had done some things a little different. Um, and one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to make sure we had this conversation was because we're approaching Thanksgiving this week. And great many people aren't going to be able to be with their families. Um, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about, you know, doing Zoom and, you know, doing all this, you know, all these different types of things where they can kind of try to have a Thanksgiving. And um, so with that said, if you could urge people again to think about that in, in your situation, think about those people who are sitting in this care and they're thinking about in their life, they're not. And this is this is what I told uh, I've told. I think I've told my son this and I told my wife this before, um, because, you know, she she's a hard, hard worker. She'll work really hard. Mm-hmm. And I told her this before. And I said, you know, I've never heard. And I've heard this from some other people. And I was like, you know, I never heard anybody say, you know, 40, 50 years down the road, you know, when they're done doing work and they're sitting there on their bed. I've never heard anybody say, man, I wish I would have logged into that laptop one more day. You know, I wish I would have, uh, you know, I wish I would have signed in one more time. Most people, like you said, are going to be saying, you know, um, or, or a lot of people are saying, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. So, um, 
so I guess I guess uh, I guess I say that to say with those thoughts in mind, knowing that you have people out here who who are doing this. What 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 would you say to some people who are like, well, I just don't know how to spend the time. Like what what how how do how do I spend the time? Um, you know, if I'm thinking of, you know, uh, thinking about those people who are in hospice care, you know, how do I spend the time with my family now so that if I ever get whenever or if I'm at that point. I'm not regretting uh, things. So how can people, I guess, how can people not regret life, I guess, is, is what I'm, is where I'm trying to get to. Right. Well, you know, one of the, the, the major things that all of us can do is be deliberate about the time that we spend. Mm. So what that looks like is, so I have, um, I have, three of my grandchildren that don't live nearby, mm. you know, they, um, and it's not, you know, far, far away, but you know, they're not, uh, most of my grandkids are somewhere, you know, within the 30 minute, you know, 40 minute range, um, where I can go visit them and everything. Right. Well, I have three of them that are three hours away. Mm. So, and it's not easy um, with the things that I do um, to kind of, you know, with the ministry, with work, you know, with um, my community involvement to put myself in the best position to see them. As I, and it breaks my heart. So what I've elected to do is to isolate one weekend a month, no matter what to drive down and spend some time with them. Now, you know, things with the pandemic, if, you know, if that changes, then it's something different, but right. you know, more ultimately. So for the rest of us, what does that look like? Uh, I may not see mom, you know, every day, mom might live, you know, three States over. What can I legitimately do in order to actually put my eyes on mom throughout the year. Mm. Okay. And then what are the spaces that I can fill in with letters, with cards, with phone calls, with video calls, you know, be deliberate a bit, you know, about it. My mom, you know, she doesn't live, you know, she lives about an hour away from me, but she gets a check in, you know, and it's just, you know, if, I try to do it at least once a week on the telephone and then I try to see her, you know, at least twice a month, you know, with, with put my eyes on her just right. so I can see what she was like. So in doing that, we actually get to, you know, I mean, we spend time with them, but we actually get time to check on them. You know, mm -hmm. like, how does mom look? You know, is, is she still doing OK? You know, is, you know, the weight. But these are the things these this time you will never, ever get back mm. and for your children for your grandchildren you have to do this on purpose yeah you know i, I remember uh, uh i was stationed in alaska and uh they came and you know they started pulling people you know out of uh uh the the, the um the morning huddle mm. and you know and they pulled me out and they were like you know uh come on you coming with us and i'm like we, you know nobody's saying anything <laughs> You know, nothing like that. Right. And it's something that I, that I adopted from my own family. And they said, uh, um, you know, get your gear. Like, mm. what are we doing? So they said forced fun. Mm. I was like, forced fun? What is that? <laughs> right. You know? That's but, the army. <laughs> yeah. So, but I went whitewater rafting. Mm. I went gold panning. You know what I mean? Mm. And skiing. And I was like, what are they doing? You know, but we had to go. Mm. So, you know, and it was forced fun, but I started doing that with my children. You know, they, they'll tell you to this day, you know, we'll wake up on a Saturday and they're like, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Nope. We're going to the amusement park. Why? Forced fun. Boy, <laughs> they hated it. They hated getting up early. They hated all that. But once we got to where we were going, they had a ball. Mm. But those are the moments that I created on purpose, mm. you know, so that when I'm gone, when they look back, They'll say, you know, my dad spent time with me. Mm. No, that's 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 really good because that's that's one of the things that I've always thought about with my son. You know, he, you know, he plays basketball, and you know, I've ever since he was young, you know, he's always been athletic, and I've always fought with, 
you know, do I just push him out there on a circuit and just be all about basketball or do I let him or do I focus more on him having a childhood? And ultimately, I decided that I think it's more important for me to allow him to have, you know, that childhood where we're going to take family vacations to Disney over the summer when, you know, big AAU tournaments are happening and or travel tournaments are happening. And, you know, I think I think it was a great decision because looking back now, I can say, hey, we have pictures from when we went to Disney and Universal Studios. And, you know, I have, you know, I have a video. We laugh about it a lot because he has such a squeaky voice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he heard it. He, he hates hearing the video because He's like, I can't believe my voice was that squeaky. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I hear him on the video and every time, honestly, I'll be quite honest with you. Every time I hear it, it almost brings a tear to my eyes because just hearing how young he was and being able to experience being like in Times Square, New York, like just walking down New York. I'm like, I would never have been able to do that when I was a kid. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I chose that. And I, and I really like what you're saying. So people have to be you have to make that choice and you have to be deliberate about, um, you know, that mandatory fund that you're going to be, that you're going to be doing because at some point when they look back or when our families look back and I'm like, Hey, you know what? That was really fun. Um, so I, I really, I really like that. Um, the other thing I want to say about the hospice care, I would imagine that, I mean, now it seems nearly impossible. Um, but I would imagine even before the pandemic, some of these people may not have had a lot of family come and visit or talk to them. So I guess my question would be in a normal environment, not during a pandemic, because I know there's nothing you can do during a pandemic. You know, you see in the movies where people are they'll visit some of these homes and they allow them to play games with them and stuff like that. In a normal environment, is there something that people can actually do to support? Um, people in a hospice care. When I say a normal environment, I mean pre pre pandemic, no pandemic, no virus, no, no nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. I mean, in the hospice care or even if it's not hospice care, if it's a nursing facility or uh, a long term care facility of some type, you know, um, and I think this is probably one of the things that is uh, closest to my heart because, it amazes me how many people have family that do not come to see them. Mm. And it's, you can't, it, I can't just say that, you know, they're not good family or anything like that. But for a lot of, a lot of the situations, um, the person might uh, suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's oh, and yeah. that they, they, they became a burden to a family member. And, you know, a lot of the family members, once they're able to get them into um, a facility of some sort, you know, it, it, they feel relief and, and, and rightly so, because it can be very difficult to take care uh, of a person who's uh, suffering with dementia. Yeah. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's good to get your break, but you kind of have to recoup because, you know, these facilities are now their home, Yeah, you know, and a lot of people don't understand that it's, it's home, you know, and they do all they can to kind of decorate it. So the same way that you would kind of go visit while, you know, when they were in the community, Mm. You need to do those same things and, and you don't have to spend, you know, hours upon end. And, and the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, the facilities have so many uh, crafted events. You know, they have a schedule of things that they do right. that you can actually go and join them in those events. You know, mm. during the holidays, they have singing or, you know, games or, or, or anything like that. But even now in the pandemic. And, as, you know, a lot of places you just can't get into, you know, right. but a lot of those uh, staff members in those facilities are going out of their way to make sure that they have someone who can facilitate telephone calls. Even mm. some of them will facilitate, you know, uh, video video calls um, if, if, you know, that capability is there. Um, and I know right now a whole lot of them are working on 
um, you know, finding, you know, uh, uh, or adopting, you know, the correct technology in order to be able to allow more people to see their family members. Um, but, you know, with that being said, you know, it's just it's so easy uh, to forget uh, these people. And, and that it's not you know, it's not far fetched when people say out of sight, out of mind, mm. you know, uh, but to be able and, and and don't let it just be the holidays, but, you know, at least make the holidays important, you know, don't let it just be the holidays. But, yeah. you know, it, it, you have to be able to, uh, you know, kind of look at them and say, you know, this could be some of the last, you know, valuable time that they have left on the earth, mm. you know. And though you might not want to see them, them seeing you could make all the difference in the world. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think that's powerful right there because it kind of goes back to what you were, um, you know, what you were saying before about, you know, you just can't believe that, uh, you know, that uh, people won't won't visit. But they're only looking at it from their perspective. They're not really looking at it from that person's perspective to say, um, hey, you know. Um, I would appreciate you being here or the other example you gave about, you know, people that just want to go and then their family members like, no, you know, keep fighting, keep fighting. You know, they're only thinking about, you know, it yeah. sounds sad, but you know, they're only thinking about themselves at that moment. Oh, yeah. You it's, know? it's, it's absolutely selfish behavior. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not without, um, without warrant you know what i mean no right. nobody wants to say mom go ahead and die yeah you know but are you okay when she's okay you know can you become okay when father says you know i'm i'm tired mm. and you know i'm just ready to go um wow. and you know understanding the additional pain you know or mental anguish that it may cause by you continuing to ask them to, to fight and to stay. Yeah, that I could I could see how that creates a, a conflict. So there's one more story I kind of want to go into. I can't I, I don't remember all the details, but I thought it was a pretty cool story. I don't know if you were. Ever, I, I think you told me you were able to get this guy a call, um, but I can't remember. You were telling me there was a, a guy there who I think used to he used to do some work on like the Air Force One uh or something like that or at the white house or um oh yeah 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 so yeah. uh did uh i can't remember the exact story but were you able ever to um you know coordinate a call for him yeah well i'm gonna tell you so this was um a person who actually flew air force one okay okay yeah he actually flew air force one so the story um, that his family had was that he actually uh, flew President Kennedy back from Texas after through his body back after he was uh, mm. uh, assassinated. Wow. And um, so upon hearing that, uh, I made a, a, quite a few phone calls and I actually ended up getting to um, I think, uh, and I can't remember the specific name. It was something air wing, something. Mm -hmm. And the, this is actually the group that actually houses and flies and cares for all of the air force, uh, uh, the presidential, um, uh, air aircraft. So air mm. force one, okay. uh, you know, so, and I gave them a call and they called me back that night and we had made all the arrangements. What they were going to do was to get the commander of that, um, particular, uh, air wing, to call this patient, you know, just to say thank you for his service. You know, they were pulling up all his records and everything. Mm. Um, they were going to call at 8 p.m., uh, but um, about seven, a little after seven, that patient actually died oh, and never man. got the opportunity to get that phone call. But the family was really grateful that, you know, um, that the organization went out of their way to, you know, to try to make that happen for, um, for this particular patient. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and the fact that they were, you know, willing to do it and that you were able oh, to make that connection I'm, that I mean, the Air Force was absolutely wonderful. They were outstanding with that, you know, mm. and uh, I, I, and, the, you know, and they also kind of gave me, an, you know, a pass to 
you know, if, if anything like that ever to, you know, were to happen again, to not hesitate to call the, the air force was absolutely outstanding with that. Oh man, that's, that's uh pretty amazing. So I wanted to, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to close here in a minute, but I really wanted to have this conversation because we're, you know, we're really close to the holiday time and, um, you know, families are apart. And I think it, it didn't start like this, but I think as the pandemic has gone on and, and moved forward, I've, I've, I've constantly thought about people, you know, taking this time to, you know, be with their families. And I'm not perfect at it myself, um, but it is something that I think about. And, um, you know, so I really appreciate you going into um, the hospice care because that's that sounds that I mean, I don't know if I would be able to mentally handle that on a regular basis without having to really, um, you know, come home and take about an hour or something to to decompress. I mean, at first I might, you know, be OK, but, you know, after after a few times that would that would be really hard. So I really I really wanted people to to kind of start thinking about the importance of their relationships um, when you start thinking about someone in hospice care who, who, you know, they're going a certain direction and you know, they can't make up the time that they lost. So I'm glad I, I thank you for bringing it up. But uh, do you have any final words for people as we uh, enter Thanksgiving coming up this week? Uh, do you have any final words uh, to kind of encourage people in any way? It doesn't have to be about, you know, how to spend time or anything like that it can be any type of encouragement that you would have for people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would just say, you know, I, I really encourage people just to stay safe, you know, um, as, uh, the, the spread of this disease grows, you know, the, the, the ability to come in contact with someone who, um, is positive, uh, you know, also increases, and, you know, exponentially. And, you know, I just encourage everyone to, you know, to do what's necessary, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I am of the belief that, you know, whatever we lose now, you know, we'll, we'll get back, you know, in bunches hmm. uh, when, when this thing is, has, has turned around, you know, and, and it becomes what it needs to be. Um, sometimes, you know, again, we can be a little selfish, you know, and we think about ourselves when there's so many other people, um, that require, you know, our, our honest effort in order to protect the whole. So. No, that's good. I, I appreciate that. So, uh, with that being said, once again, Alvin, thank you for coming on the show. Um, if you want to hold the line for a second, I'm gonna hop back on and, uh, and we'll talk after this. So thanks for your right. time. Thanks for having me, Luke. Appreciate All right. it. All right. That was uh, my longtime friend, Alvin Harmer, Harmon, <laughs> um, pastor. Um, you know, that was a very interesting conversation. If you've never been around that type of environment with hospice care, man, I, I had chills listening to that. Um, so thank you guys for listening to Candidly Speaking. Hope to catch you next time. We out.